At 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, May 26th, the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, made a major announcement to the sports world. I am delighted to be with you today to announce the National Hockey League's plans for our resumption of play, the format of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, and how we will conduct the 2020 NHL draft lottery. Let me assure you that the reason we are doing this is because our fans are telling us in overwhelming numbers that they want us to complete the season, if at all possible. And our players and our teams are clear that they want to play and bring the season to its rightful conclusion. Now, to our return to play plan. From his home in New Jersey, the commissioner presented phase one of the league's return to play plan. So, are we looking at an expanded playoff format? Yes. Is the draft lottery different? Yes. Did the league narrow down their list of hub cities? Yes. Oh, so do we have a start date? No. Why not? We'll start with questions. Please wait for the uh, microphone first. What's the earliest you could play? Uh, Late July, early August? This 24-team format, one-year thing? Or do you like this? How much thought has gone into uh, the composition of rosters and who might be eligible? Could you go over for me the timetable on determining the draft and maybe what the complications were about having it before the season and after? And then the second question would be, what needs to be in place for one of these cities to get the responsibility? Regarding the quarantine situation in Canada, does that hurt the Canadian city's chances of being a hub city? Do you have a number of tests that are likely to be needed to get through this and the cost of those tests and who bears them? This player X got positive. Is it going to be all over again or you're prepared to deal with this situation and still go on? Can this return help mitigate some of the economic losses to the league? To answer some of these questions, we called former NHL general manager, Stanley Cup champion and Sportsnet hockey analyst Brian Burke. He joins us for this edition of the Sports on Pause podcast. So, Brian Burke has a breadth of experience in and outside of the game hockey. He was both a GM and a president. He's done work for the league. He has a legal background. He played at a high level. And he is one of the fortunate few who has lifted Lord Stanley's cup. So he understands how much it means and why it's really important that we hand it out if we can. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, Brian. That experience does not include running a franchise or chasing a cup during a global pandemic, first and foremost, how are you doing and, and how are you wrapping your head around the scenario that we all face, but specifically the sport faces right now? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I'd say I'm handling it not very well. I don't like sitting around. I, I really enjoy being in a workspace with coworkers, and uh, I, I found this very difficult. Thank God that I'm working a lot because that's what keeps me sane. Otherwise, I'm not sure I'd, I'd be uh, handling this real well. I find it difficult. I'm very excited that we'll be going back to work in some form soon. Some major news, obviously, this week regarding the NHL's return to play plan. I am sure that you have been asked about this on various sports and entities, and we will do the same here. 
when you saw the news and you saw the plan, what initially stood out to you? What was something you were looking for? And ultimately, how do you think that resulted regarding what you might have been looking for? Well, I expected this. I mean, Elliot Friedman broke this story, but this is something that had been widely talked about among the teams in the league. So the 2014 format was something I was expecting. I mean, let's go backwards. So we have this problem. We have the pause. Under ideal circumstances, you contain the virus, you finish the regular season. That takes care of your playoff seating, your draft uh, order, all these conditional picks. Everything goes away, but they can't do that. So what's the next best alternative, which is, in my mind, including the teams that were in the hunt or on the bubble, whatever cliche you want to use. But to me, and I said we the season was over when this happened. I, there's no way that we could play again. What changed it was the NHL uh, very wisely saying, well, we don't have to award the cup in June. We can award it in September. Uh, and that gives us more runway to have the science catch up with this awful virus. And it gives us a chance if we're going to play in front of no fans, if we start later next fall, maybe we've got a solution by then and we can have some people in the building and make some money. So I think, you know, where I misread this was that, okay, if conventional calendar, there's no way we're going to play. And I would have been right, obviously, but I'm very happy to be wrong because the league just said, huh, we'll just move it back. And I think the leadership of the league has been tremendous. I think the plan is very exciting. We are not there yet. We are not dropping a puck yet. There's still all kinds of issues, but at least we have a framework now and something to look forward to. And now we can attack the logistics. This is the plan. Now we furnish the details. So why announce that plan now? If you can't announce when and you can't announce where exactly, and we've all understood that the calendar has moved back, why was this the time to make that announcement? Because basketball hasn't done it yet. And of the you know the two major sports that were interrupted midseason, baseball hadn't begun. NFL was miles away. Uh, so we're the first league of the two to announce, here's the plan, here's the format. And I think by stalling on announcing what the hub cities are, it gives the league time to assess where those venues are with regard to COVID-19. And it gives some time. They've got to resolve this 14-day quarantine issue in Canada. They have to resolve that. One of the things for all these return-to-play plans that I know I'm focused on, I imagine Donovan's focused on, and I think anybody who's who's been reading and who's been thinking about this stuff has to be focused on, and that is what happens if we see positive tests for the virus, whether that's from asymptomatic carriers or people who are symptomatic, people who are... Um, who have uh, symptoms, and then ultimately test positive. What do you anticipate the NHL will do if we see a couple positives? Well, they had a positive test in the UFC's first event, and they did not shut the event down. They took the fighter out. They eliminated the members of his entourage that were around the other athletes, and they continued, and they finished the event. Uh, Bill Daly was very vocal about this as long as three weeks ago, that one or two positive tests will not derail the return to play effort. And I think the only answer I can give is, I don't know what the magic number is. I mean, if it's five or six or seven, and that's happened in other leagues now, uh, I think you got a problem. I also know that the league's not going to make this call. The local health authorities are going to make this call. So if if the league says, well, we got three positive tests on one team, uh, the local authority may, or they're playing, whoever's in charge may say, well, that team's out. 
take them out of the tournament. And then you, you get a forfeit or who knows. But I think if you do the testing, and this my major concern from the get-go has been the quality and accuracy of the testing that's available, which I think is very substandard, and the amount of testing available. And by taking our time through phase two and not rushing things, I think science is going to catch up with a lot of these issues. I think testing equipment will be available in mass quantities and will be more accurate by that. So that to me is, I think if you test properly, you can actually contain this virus. And you, you do daily checks. The NHL is talking about daily checks on all 50 people that have access to the bubble. So that's all the players, including the Black Aces. That's coaches, trainers, doctors. The 50 people that are allowed in the bubble are going to be tested daily. So that removes a lot of my fear about what about three or four or five positive tests. I think it probably is likely going to be one or zero. And then they can continue quarantine that person and keep the competition going. You mentioned you're not sure what the magic number is in terms of positive tests that would cause for maybe a greater conversation. Is there a magic person? If Carrie Price or Sidney Crosby all of a sudden test positive, can you continue to truck forward and continue to play without there being an asterisk on whatever happens after that? No. They could hurt their ankle in the warm-up too. You can't devise a medical protocol for superstars and, and, and not worry about a guy like me who's on the fourth line and playing about eight minutes a night if I'm lucky. Um, no, that doesn't put an asterisk on anything for me. Brian, we're fortunate to have you on because you have literal experience as being uh, a general manager in the National Hockey League. If you were in that position for one of these teams, how would you be approaching the medical component of this? And And I wonder, in addition to listening to the league and listening to public health officials wherever the hub city they end up, would you yourself have your own medical team that you have comprised to get additional information beyond whatever the league is putting out? Yes, I would. I trust the NHL. The NHL, the doctors that they've put together for the concussion protocol and all these issues, they're top-rate people. They're as good as you're going to find. But I also know my team doctor knows my athletes. Like This is one of the great things about hockey players. They lie so they can play. And that's why having a doctor that knows the player, like a player will say, you ask a guy, right? he'll lie right in your face. How's your knee? And he's fine. I'm going. Then he asks the doctor, and the doctor says, there's no way I'm clearing him to play. His knee's a mess. So these players are so tough. I think the key here is to have a doctor who says, how are you feeling today? The player's going to tell the team doctor, not so good. And then you test him or do whatever. He might not give the same answer to a doctor he doesn't know. So I would want my own people involved. You know, I had Dr. Foreman, who was excellent when I was here in Toronto, Dr. Ald in Calgary, just excellent people. And they know the players better. So I would still want my medical people around. And you're going to have to anyway, because of the injury component, once you start practicing and playing, but uh, on the, the virus advice, I would take the league's advice. Absolutely. Like these are top people top doctors and top leaders at the NHL. So yeah, I would be comfortable. They tell us we're going to a hub city, say it's Vancouver, say it's Columbus. They tell us that they will, we will charter to Columbus. We'll get on a bus that's been sanitized. We will go to a hotel that is locked down. We will then take a sanitized bus to practice, to dress in a sanitized dressing room. Every player, every one of the 50 tested every day that we can pull us off. 
I'm in. I'm getting on that bus. At some point, we went from four hub cities to two, and then people really started to dial in on where exactly these hub cities are going to be. To you, does it matter geographically if they're one in each country, east, west, or should it just be the two best locations regardless of where they happen to reside? Well, I think they're going to end up being dead heats on a number of these markets. Now, the league, by stalling, the league has allowed them, they can make an assessment of the whether it's a hotspot or not. By taking your time here, you can wait and see which jurisdictions have effectively addressed the spread of this virus because the rinks and the amenities will be comparable. It'll be dead heat almost everywhere. So here's your needs. You need an NHL building. The league has said they're not interested in playing in venues that are not NHL. You need good hotels in proximity to the arena. That's number two. So you got a, a place to play, a place to sleep. Do you have the dining facilities in the hotel? Yes. Can you quarantine staff? Yes. Then the third thing is practice time. You need to practice. So there's got to be quality ice surfaces available, not far, preferably from the game venue. And I think you'll have a dead heat in most of these cities. Most cities have a good NHL rink, good hotels adjacent to the arena, like Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, all apparently in contention. Just everyone close their eyes and imagine Scotiabank Arena. You can leave the rink and not go outside and walk into the Royal York Hotel, which is a beautiful hotel. Uh, you can walk outside briefly and go to the Delta or the Ritz or take a sanitized bus four blocks to the Ritz. So to me, you're going to have a dead heat here on the buildings, accommodations, and practice ring. Any Canadian city has plenty of practice ring time. So you got MasterCard here. You do a police escort so they don't get bogged down on the gardener. They go to practice. There's four sheets of ice there. You got Mattamy at Ryerson, Old Maple Leaf Gardens. You've got Rico. So there's plenty of ice available, but that's the same in Vancouver. They've got that. They got UBC. They got lots of rinks right around there. So it'll be a dead heat on all of them. Then it'll be where is the best rate of infection? And number one will be, is it a 14-day quarantine? Because the Vancouver Canucks are even talking about if this 14-day quarantine remains in effect, they may do their training camp in the States. What challenge does that present in terms of restarting the game? And in what way can people in politics maybe appease and, and help in that situation? Well, it's a problem, and it's a problem the government's going to have to address, in my view. If they want to have a hub city, they're going to have to address it for sure. So the notion is that prime minister has put in a 14-day quarantine, and as a, a Canadian citizen who resides in Canada, I support that. I think it's great. And I think it's really been influential and instrumental in containing the spread of this awful disease. Now, we're coming back to play, and my answer or question would be if I'm – Prime Minister, I don't presume to speak for Mr. Trudeau, but the question would be, okay, if we're going to lift this quarantine for a group of people, then we have to know that they're safe. So what testing is being done? If we're going to say, okay, we want a hub city in Alberta or Vancouver, we want to host a hub city, but we got this 14-day quarantine. So a team that flies up from Columbus to Toronto, the 14-day quarantine, well, that's not going to fly. But if I'm the Prime Minister and they assure me that Every one of those 50 that's getting on that charter has been tested, quarantined properly, sheltered at home properly before that in their home country, whether that's overseas or, or here. And I'd have a particular level of concern about the Swedes. 
But if I could guarantee the Canadian public that these athletes are all safe, I would do it. And I think that's the league's position is this is a non-starter. Like if they're going to do a 14-day quarantine, then there's going to be no hub cities in, in Canada. And I think it'd be nice to have a hub city in Canada. I think it'd be good for local economies. I think it'd be good for morale. I think it'd be good for image. I think it'd be good for lots of things. But it's a non-starter. So I would say, okay, this is me again. If I'm bringing a, a plane load of 50 people from Columbus is going to fly to Toronto. Any other plane from any other part in the world, has they, these people have to quarantine for 14 days. How can I ensure the Canadian people are safe from these 50 people? Well, if they've all been tested multiple times and if they're all properly quarantined and sheltered at home before that, I think you can be pretty sure that they're not bringing a plane full of coronavirus into Canada. What has your interest level been in some of these sports that have started already? NASCAR, UFC, German uh, Bundesliga, regarding what lessons may or may not be used from those leagues for the NHL? I don't think NASCAR has much applicability, but I despise soccer. <laughs> I, 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 I loathe the product. I loathe the, the lack of action. I, I, I cannot imagine a worse fate than being a season ticket holder at a soccer match. Um, that being said, you're darn right. I've been watching the Bundesliga because I, I am interested in how you pull this off. I think the, the football, if you will, to use their term, the soccer has been pretty high quality considering they had a long layoff. I, I was expecting to see terrible soccer and, and it's not. And actually these athletes are so good and they prepared hard to come back. Uh, I think the product's been good. I think the medical protocol has been excellent. I'm impressed. I think they've done a really good job. So, yes, I have watched, and I'm going to keep watching as other sports come online. I'm a UFC fan anyway. Like, I don't like golf either. I detest golf. All right? I'm one of the few guys in hockey that does not golf, has never golf, will never golf, will never watch golf. But I watched some of that match last week because I am intrigued by, okay, how do we get our sport back? What are they doing right? And actually, that was pretty good TV. Did monster ratings. People love sports. Sports are important in society. And getting these games back is important. And the fans can come later. But getting it back on TV and getting a awarding a Stanley Cup, these are major steps for us. And people are starved for this. So this is important. The work the league is doing here is important, not just for our industry. Like, we're all selfishly interested in it, right? We make our living off pro hockey, or I do. And so selfishly, yeah, I want it back. But as a fan, I want it back too. I miss it. The answer to this question may be, you know, ultimately we don't know. But the game obviously has to come back. We have to get this season in, knock on wood. We get these playoffs in. Do you have any kind of um, sort of crystal ball as to whether this playoff format and anything that happens during this potential playoffs Will it have any long-term effects, or do you think this is very much a one-off that's created in an unprecedented time, and we go back to how it's always been whenever the next season starts? Great question, Richard, but I think it's a one-off, but I think it's going to spawn a hybrid. And I think what's going to happen here is uh, the commissioner was adamant when he was asked about this. He said, this is a one-off. We're going back to our old 16-team format next year. And I think he's right on that. My view, by the way, is, and I said this when I was a playoff GM, and I said it when I was a non-playoff GM. When Seattle comes in, we'll have 32 teams. Half the teams in the league qualify for the playoffs. Isn't that enough? 
isn't that enough? So you got to be one game better than a team that finishes under 500 to get that last spot. I mean, to me, it's enough. And I think that you dilute the value of the regular season. And it's like I said, let's give participation medals too. For God's sake, this is pro sports. Like it should be hard to make the playoffs. But I think the hybrid's going to be, going back to your question, Richard, is we will never see 24 teams in again. But you're going to see 18 to 20 teams, and you're going to get play-in rounds for to determine the last one or two spots in each conference. I think the owners are going to pressure Gary to change this, and they're going to be successful ultimately because I think the players are going to push for it too. Because we've lost so much revenue, there will be a play-in scenario, and I think it's wrong. I would oppose this. It's going to turn out to be fun for the cities involved. Uh, it'll give us a couple more broadcast dates, and I'll probably stop whining about it at some point because it's in my interest to. But the fact of the matter is half is enough, guys. Half is enough. Well, you said we are not going to see 24 again. My question is, do we have 24 playoff teams now? It may seem like semantics. The commissioner said the regular season is over. So to me, that means anything after that is the playoffs. But if you are playing into something, are you already in the playoffs? That matters in terms of coaches' bonuses. It matters in terms of whether or not Vancouver has to give up their pick to New Jersey. When do the playoffs actually start from your understanding? Well, the playoffs start when there's 16 teams, which would be after the play-in round. I don't even call this a playoff round. The very first round of this playoff is a play-in. This is a, acquiring a right to play in the playoffs. If my coach showed up in my office with his contract and said, we're in the play-in round, I earn my bonus for making the playoffs, I'd say, I'll cut that check and then I'll drive you right to the airport. <laughs> That's not the playoffs. And I, as a GM, if I had a playoff bonus, which I always did, I would not have the gall, the temerity, the audacity to call the owner and say, where's my playoff check? You're a playoff team after you play in and acquire a spot in the 16 playoff teams. The draft lottery is the other big thing that people were very, very, and rightfully concerned about how it would play out. I still don't understand how it's going to work. But more importantly, in your estimation, is it fair? Okay, so there's four things up in the air right now. One is the best of seven in the first round of the playoffs. Okay, the play in is going to be best of five. The league has suggested the first round of the playoffs, the 16 teams, also be best of five. They're getting significant pushback on that from the players, and I think the players will prevail, which is a good thing. The second thing is the league currently has the four by teams in each conference, so Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philly in the east, St. Louis, Dallas, Vegas, and Colorado in the west, playing each other in a round robin, and the league's version would be that they're going to reseed based on the results of those round-robin games. The players don't think that's fair. I'm with the players on this one. Boston has had the, the best regular season. They should stay in the one seed. And I think the players are going to prevail on that point as well. The third thing is reseeding in each round. So, okay, so if Pittsburgh beats Montreal and, say, the Rangers beat Carolina, just picking random things here, then we're going to take those winners and we're going to reseed so that the best team gets the weakest opponent that has advanced. They should do that each round. It's how we used to do it. But because of travel difficulties and everything, we got away from reseeding and we've gone to brackets. Now, brackets, the NHL loves brackets and they have merit. The brackets have merit because a casual fan can easily follow 
what happens in the playoffs. If Toronto beats this team, they play this team. And that has value because the casual fan can follow it with simplicity. And that's we want that casual fan to become an avid fan. So the brackets have merit. But in pure hockey terms, reseeding is the most equitable and fair way to go. And where we're all in one location, there's no travel issue, we should reseed each round. And I think the players will prevail on that. The last thing is the draft lottery. And I know why you asked me this, Donovan, because you know I hate this. The draft lottery to me is something I've never understood. I know why we have a draft lottery. But when from the very first time there was a draft, the draft was in an inverse order of finish so that the weakest team got the best player. We've had to go to a lottery because teams tanked. And I support the lottery. But I believe the lottery should be a small number of teams, just enough that you can't guarantee yourself a best player by tanking. I think that number is five. This year, I would say it should be seven. But the way we do it, where every team who misses the playoffs has a chance at the top pick, albeit a small chance, but it's happened a couple of times where people have moved up 10 places and taken a really good player. And so to me, a team that just misses the playoffs with 90 points can leapfrog and pick ahead of a team that finished with 70 points. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I love the NHL front office. I work there. I think they're really smart people. This is one I just do not understand. I cannot comprehend how anyone can think this is appropriate or fair or the spirit of inverse order selection drives me nuts. So this year, in my mind, the seven non-playoff teams, they should pick and determine the sequence, and that's it. Baseball has had a plan for a while, and then the economics become an issue. Now, it could be posturing, but do you see the economics and what happens with the escrow, which for many people is a swear word, becoming a real hurdle that has to be crossed in this situation? Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, it's not optical. It's not posturing in baseball. It's a very real debate, and it threatens their return. And Elliot Friedman made this comment yesterday, and I agree with him, that the NHL and the NHLPA so far have kept whatever discussions have been had quite private. And in fact, as far as I know, I'm the only one who's been talking about the economic issues here for about six weeks now, about the massive revenue loss and the 50-50 share and what, what it's going to look like. And I don't care if the recovery comes in the form of increased escrow, which you're right, players, that's a swear word, or if it comes in a, a rollback across the board, but these salaries are not going to be paid in full. They are not. Massive revenue loss in a 50-50 system means the owners are losing a lot of money. It means the players are going to have to take pay cuts. And no one wants to talk about that. I brought it up six weeks ago. I said, if they miss the whole season, you could be looking at a $40 million cap. I mean, the testing alone is going to be a couple million dollars. That's what the league has even said that. To have testing for 50 people on a daily basis for anywhere from 30 to 70 days, uh, and smaller numbers, obviously, as teams are eliminated. But you're talking millions of dollars there, hotel rooms, meals. This is not going to be a cheap tournament to stage. And in the meantime, no fans. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know exact numbers, but from working there, my guess is a home game, if you're going to open the regular season against Montreal on October 8th, like a typical opening night, those home games are worth close to $3 million to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That home game is worth with the ticket sales, suites, beer, parking, around $3 million. 
if they play 10 games at the start of next year with no fans, that's $30 million out of the revenue pool from one team. And so this has to, they have to figure out how do we apportion those losses? How do we apportion that lost revenue? And it's going to be difficult for everyone involved in the game. But we are not coming back. This is not a light switch. You're not turning the light back on and having 19,000 season ticket or 17,000 season ticket holders. The jobless rate in a number of states is over 25%. And when you lose your job and you sit down at the kitchen table with your wife and you say, okay, where can we cut? You know what the first thing you cross off is? Tickets to sporting events. That's number one. Number two is family vacations. You're not going to Disneyland. You're going to go camp out in a state park in upstate New York. So these are real choices people are going to have to make with the COVID-19 economy. And we're not coming back with a light switch. We're going to have to address a revenue loss for at least 18 months. Timing matters because obviously you want to get the season done, but how will it impact next season? You know, the NHL is floating the idea that maybe the season starts later than normal, maybe, you know, past October, but you're also worrying about a second wave of a virus. Is there a drop dead date in terms of how far you would be willing to push upcoming season? I don't know what the drop dead date is, but certainly for me, it'd be January 1st or thereabouts. If you want to give the first step to the poll games, January 2nd, winter classic, whatever. But I do think the league with their focus on getting these games played has made a fundamental error in not being able to assure me, and I'm a season ticket holder with the Toronto Maple Police. I want to know, are we playing next year? What's it going to cost me? Right now, the Toronto Maple Police have nothing to sell me. No one knows when it starts or when it ends. I think they have to fix those parameters and do it soon. And so, and I think we have an opportunity here. If you take out, so for next year, if you take out All-Star in the bye week, you can pick up 10 days on the schedule that are currently blocked out. So you could do a more compact schedule. I'd like to get to fewer games. That's my pet peeve for three decades now. We play too many games. That ain't happening with the revenue starvation that we've seen. So I'll drop that one. But I think we need to do more intelligent scheduling. Like teams now waste a lot of money on travel. And if you look at the Leafs schedule for last year, you'll pick out a couple trips where they flew horrible distances to play one or two games. We've got to be more intelligent on the schedule. And this has been a beef of mine since I was in Anaheim and Vancouver before that. I don't think the league does a good job on scheduling. Well, now where costs are a major factor, our carbon imprint should be a factor too. Let's start scheduling more intelligently. Let's do it earlier when there's more building availability. Let's do some back-to-backs. What's wrong with Toronto flying to Montreal and playing back-to-back? Play two games. People aren't going to complain. That second game is usually pretty interesting. So I think there's an opportunity here. Whatever the schedule is, let's get it out. Get the dates out. You won't be able to do the whole schedule, but tell me when the season's going to start. Tell me when it's going to end. Tell me how many games we're playing, and then start scheduling. Now, you can't fault the league for not having done that yet because they've been up to their necks trying to get this done. So this is not throwing a rock. This is more saying, okay, this plan makes sense. I love it. The people that are complaining about this are nitpicking it in my mind. It's like seeing a beautiful woman and commenting that she's wearing ugly shoes. No one does that. Everyone says, look at that beautiful woman. So to me, these are ugly shoes. The issues that people are whining about, they're ugly shoes. So I'm not faulting the league, but now the league's next priority has to be, tell us what next year looks like. Well, Brian, as always, 
I appreciate the fashion lesson, the economics lesson, the candor and the passion. You always bring it. I, I'm going to need to hire you maybe to patrol our local parks to make sure people are social distancing. But hopefully you are patrolling the studio soon and bringing us some hockey. Thank you so much for this convo. Thanks, guys. Well, Donovan, I know you're a big fan of the uh, last word segment that we do every episode on this podcast where we would try to provide something uh, service-oriented, a piece we read, a uh, television show we were interested in. By the way, I've caught up on Fleabag. Can't recommend it enough, perhaps for another podcast. But here's where I want to give a shout out to. I have enjoyed, by the way, it's a little company manning a little bit because we do at Rogers have the Bundesliga. But I got to tell you, if I have to be forced at home and uh, to watch stuff, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed Alfonso Davies playing for Bayern Munich, and he's coming off one of just the more remarkable weeks of his career, probably the most remarkable week of his career as a club player. He has looked awesome, not just like one of the best players on Bayern Munich, but like the last couple of weeks, he's looked like one of the best players in the world. And that has to be incredibly exciting for Canadian soccer. So I would say, you know, if you get a chance to watch the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich, check out Alfonso Davies because he has been lights out awesome. Okay, I like that. And you know what? I'm actually gonna follow up on that vein a little bit and dial in on you know consumption of television during this time. I got two for you actually. Uh, Ethan Strauss, uh, fellow athletic writer, has a good piece about the NBA's golf obsession and possibility of cross sports appeal. That's following the match, obviously, with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady being a big part of why people were watching and talking. And yeah, there's a lot of NBA players, Steph Curry, Kyle Lowry, who I would love to see play golf more so than many golfers, if I'm being quite honest. So that's one. The other one is the ringer. Brian Curtis has a look at five ways pandemic era sports on TV could be better than ever, which is actually antithetical because I thought pandemic era sports on TV with no real crowd noise would be terrible. But he brings up some actual interesting potential opportunities for broadcasters, which I thought was pretty fascinating. This is for you, an opportunity to learn more about a serious topic, but also at times, depending on the episode, to escape from it. So no matter what reason you are here, thank you for listening. And most importantly, continue to stay safe, take care of yourself and others.